In an increasingly frantic world, a lot of us are looking for ways to slow things down a bit. Enter birding. I'm a big advocate of people just sitting and being still, because you'd be amazed how much will fly by you, walk by you, crawl by you, if you're just still and part of the landscape. Well, that sounds pretty magical. But as great as birding is for taking a breath and spending some time in nature, it has historically been very white. Today, we're going to hear about an effort to change that. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. There are some real barriers for people of color who want to get into birding. The very names associated with birding are problematic. Maybe you've heard there are chapters of the Audubon Society across the country that are changing their names. The Society's founder, naturalist John James Audubon, had some very strong pro-slavery views. April Campbell, MD, is part of the wave of birders of color, trying to make this pastime a little bit more inclusive. She lives in Ann Arbor, and she's the founder of BIPOC Birders of Michigan. Campbell was recently profiled by Detroit-based freelance writer Rukia Colvin for Planet Detroit. We talked to both of them about the shift happening in the birding world. But first, April Campbell told us about how she fell in love with watching the skies. Well, I had the great joy of growing up uh, on what was an old farm. It was uh, a cattle farm in Connecticut, and our our property backed up to the state park, so th there was no development. We were pretty much the only people on the hill there. And the barn was home to a number of animals um, since the cows and the were no longer there. And one species I was particularly uh, in love with uh, was the barn uh, swallow. I looked forward to their return every year, and I could never get enough of those birds. Um, and watching them build their mud nests, I was captivated by them. Would you mind telling us a little bit about some of your birding experiences early on in Michigan? Well, Michigan is—I've uh, been—well, see, I've been—I've uh, lived in Michigan since 1992. I came here for my um, residency in physical medicine. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, I, I lived in New York State and Syracuse. It was beautiful. Um, I lived in Maryland. Absolutely awesome, too. But one thing I love about Michigan is the vast uh, numbers of habitat. Uh, and it's really a state that I think is underexplored by a lot of birders around the country. They come here for the Kirtland's Warbler. Uh -huh. And, you know, they, they fly in, oh, I'm going to see the Kirtland's Warbler, and then they fly out. But they're really missing out on, on, on Michigan's uh, flora and fauna and, and bird life, you know. I, I must admit I'm a lover of just about any bird. I'm particularly excited about uh, raptors. I, I, there's something about having this wild creature that also inhabits uh, our urban areas. The peregrine falcon is one of my favorite birds. And I love it because it can be sitting on a concrete building in downtown Detroit. And there it is, just as gorgeous and wild, in an area where you'd never think such a bird would be. And that's one of my favorite experiences, pointing out to people, you know, you don't have to go out into a vast park 
to see nature. You can see it right here in the middle of downtown Detroit. Also, I don't think we talk enough about the joys of watching raptors out mm-hmm. in public. People always think it's the smaller species, but there's there's a lot to see out there. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, I, every bird walk I've ever been on, and I think every every bird habitat that I've ever visited, like public parks that that are known for having a lot of interesting species or being kid friendly, for example. I don't think I've I don't think I've ever seen anything other than white people visiting. Mm. Um, what, at what point did you start to look around or, or you know just think this is crazy? Like why am I you know why am I the only person of color here? Well, I've been actually thinking about this for a long time. In just about every state I lived, I was a member of the the local Audubon chapter. Um, in Syracuse, uh, I was a member there, and there were no people of color, not even Native Americans. Uh, and and where I was working, I worked on the Onondaga Nation. Mm. Um, so this, you know, was in the back of my mind for a very, very long time. And when I retired, I decided, well, now that I have the time, uh, I want to devote uh, that time to changing this. Because the way I see it is, as we look down the future, you know, into the future, as the demographics in the country change, as more people of color assume political positions, positions of, of power within uh, government and so forth, and are making the decisions about what to save, what not to save, uh, what's valued and what isn't, uh, individuals who have no experience with nature, no experience with birding or um even foraging or, or, or understanding plant life, insect life, are not going to value that. As, as they say, you you uh, value what you love, and you know you love what you know. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know it, then it's not very likely that someone's going to care about some you know small amphibian that's endangered uh, in this uh, habitat that somebody wants to develop. Rukia, can I get you in on this? How did you find out about about Dr. Campbell's story? There's a group called Black to the Land, and they host um, or promote a lot of outdoor activity events that are geared toward Black and other people of color. So I saw it on their social media page. It it looked like something to check out for a Saturday uh, morning, early afternoon. Um, So I said, why not come out? So that's when I learned about... um, April and what she does with birding. But before that, I had, uh, it, I can't say that it was much of an interest or something that I knew that a lot of Black people was involved in. So that was interesting to see. Yeah. There's a much wider discussion, uh, really nationally, about how accessible our public outdoor spaces are to people of color. Rukia, how would you say Dr. Campbell's experiences compare with with what other Black birders have have found themselves in? So after the walk, um, we got together to hear of April's story and folks would share their experience. Like, what has it been like for them out in nature, whether it was for birding or just being outdoors? Um, And a lot of us spoke about 
the fear and, you know, not wanting to do activities alone because of the fact that these spaces are typically um, more saturated with white people and just that lack of safety um, that we feel um, when we're not around people who look like us. Um, so I noticed that that was a common theme. And then, of course, we had the story um, that happened in New York um, that raised issues. But I mean, this isn't Christian Cooper. Yeah, this isn't this isn't new. Like we've always had that sort of, I guess, apprehension toward things Um for decades now. Just to just to refresh people's memories if they've forgotten, back in 2020, this man named Christian Cooper, a black man, was walking in Central Park and bird watching and asked a white woman there to keep her dog leashed. That that was the rule in the park. And then she called the police saying that he was threatening her. This went viral and everybody got to see in person what what a lot of people of color experience in public spaces every day. And this was happening the same day that George Floyd was killed. April Campbell, I wonder what feelings did you find yourself going through that day and after that? Well, I never had an experience where the police were called on me, but I have had experiences where uh, people have followed me. Uh, and, and this actually happened in a suburban neighborhood. I was birding in the neighborhood, and everywhere I went, this um older white woman was following me. And and I thought, hmm, well, this is odd. So finally I stopped and, and I asked her, can I help you? And she goes, well, uh, I was just wondering what you're doing because there have been break-ins in, in the neighborhood. I said, well, what did you think I was doing? Uh, I have binoculars and I'm looking at the trees. And then she just turned and walked off. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Yes, it it can be a problem. I've been accosted in parks where, you know, people have, you know, made snide remarks and and so forth. Um, One of the issues is when I explain this to my white burning colleagues, uh, many have poo-pooed it, you know, the danger and said, well, you know, that's not the way it is here in Ann Arbor or that's not the way it's here. And there's no effort to understand that, well, your experience is it, it doesn't include this, but mine does. So there's no attempt to to understand the you know where a person of color is coming from, why they may feel that way. And of course, Ann Arbor is not immune to this type of behavior, where where people are accosted or injured. And you know, there was even an incident in the. This wasn't in Arbor. This was in Monroe County, and one of the the parks where uh, a young black uh, man was um, beaten uh, with a bicycle chain for playing his music in the park. Um, so, I think that's one of the issues: is that a lot of these concerns, fears, are not taken very seriously. It's time for a quick break. We'll be back with you in just a minute. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. 
Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Rukia, Dr. Campbell, we've we've talked about, you know, just the you know, the, the threat of other people and you know, some of the dread that people may feel that may prevent them from even trying going outside and, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with the intent of seeing birds and other wildlife. But what else should we talk about when we're thinking about the barriers and what might keep people from doing this? Well, uh, there are several barriers. Uh, transportation is one. Uh, many people don't own a car. And a lot of these parks are not uh, on public transport. You have to uh, drive to get there. Right. Yeah. Routes. So it's, it can be very difficult for people to, say, attend a bird walk in, let's say, uh, Lake St. Clair or the Arb or whatever if they're coming from Detroit and have no transportation. So that that's a big barrier. Um, which is one of the reasons why I encourage a lot of neighborhood and close-to-the-city type of birding. Um, the other barrier, of course, is, I think, psychological in that we have not been welcomed in outdoor spaces. There's a long history of um, segregation of outdoor spaces such that we had to uh, create our own places. Like Idlewild? Uh, like Idlewild, that's sure. correct, exactly. Uh, my uh, wife's family uh, from, uh, owns a large, uh, well, they call it cottage back east. A cottage was a little shack on the river, but a cottage in West uh, Michigan is a huge home, um, but it's on uh, Lake Michigan. And when I would visit there, when I first started going there over 20 years ago, there were no people of color there. And virtually no people of color own any property there. Um, and of course, now, unless you're you know, tremendously wealthy, you're not going to own any property there either. Um, but I have to say that Going back to Holland um, in the last, I'd say, five to seven years, you will see more and more African-Americans and other people of color on the beach. In fact, uh, there was a, uh, an African-American couple that uh, wedded on the uh, beach just in front of uh, my wife's cottage. So that was very heartening to see that and seeing that Holland State Park is being availed by more and more people of color. Uh, Rikia, tell us what comes to your mind when you think about barriers, maybe also just like the wider question of, you know, how people experience America differently. Yeah. So for me, when I think of barriers outside of ones that were already covered, I also think about just the the education piece of it and the lack of understanding of how it is healing. Um, so, of course, we talked about how Black people have felt disconnected from land due to just enslavement or um, segregation, right? You know, we think of uh, suburban areas and how a lot of the more outdoor-friendly spaces are within suburban areas. Um, 
versus in the city where we have a lot of air pollution. Um, but just the knowledge of what it can do to you um, for being outdoors in nature, I think is important. Um, even I think about children, like I have a three-year-old son and he has taken a liking to birding. Um, and it's been interesting just to observe him in that space and learn how, uh, I feel like I learned through him um, how to better embrace those moments um, just by noticing how he's paying attention to the different birds and just things outdoors. Um, but I think a lot of times, even as we are um, really encouraging more people of color to be outdoors, um, some people just don't see that as something that is attractive or worth uh, doing. So it's the barrier of educating more on why these things are important and why we need to reclaim spaces that other people feel that we aren't entitled to enjoying as much as they are. Yeah. April Campbell, this group that you've started for BIPOC birders, what has it been like going out on outings with groups that are that are made entirely of people of color? Well, it's been eye-opening for me because uh, when uh, the first walk took place as I was driving to Palmer Park, I thought to myself, ooh, what if no one shows up? Right. <laughs> um, and I was really heartened because so many people did show up, and they and many people had never birded ever in their life. And and I've had calls from people like, you know, wow, you know, where do I get binoculars? You know, what book do I need? And and so I think one of the things is making the birding fun, um, and the education sort of comes along with that and not feeling, you know, having people feel like, oh, you know, I'll never know how to do this and I don't know the bird's name and I don't, you know, and I, because what I found is a lot of people who uh, attend some of the walks on uh, the Audubon sponsors and not just, you know, the local Audubon, but other Audubons around the country, they feel very intimidated. Um, often the walks are focused on identifying as many species as possible, so they move along rather quickly. You have a lot of experienced birders that are, you know, shouting out names. They're you know. 10 years or 20 years into their birding. Right, and, yeah. you know, they're saying, oh, there's the what's the name, blah, 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 and then, you know, and the more common birds are just kind of, oh, you know, there's a robin, you know. <laughs> and, and the thing is that uh, what I try to do on these walks is to, I call them slow, slow, slow birding, and there's a slow birding movement actually that's been sort of a reaction to the usual type of birding, where you just take your time, um, you you watch, you listen, um, and you take in the surrounding that the that the bird is in, that which includes the vegetation, you know, the insects, uh, other wildlife. Uh, because the birds don't live in a vacuum. I think that's, for me, that's one of the great enjoyments of birding. It's not just being able to identify some rare species, but to enjoy how that bird is living, how that bird is communicating, uh, and to understand that that bird is an individual with its own life, its own experiences, you know, in addition to be being perhaps part of a, you know a flock or you know, part of a group, it is also an individual. 
So uh, we take our time. No, no question is considered stupid. We, we laugh. We, you know, I, I call them no shush bird walks because I nobody's going to say shush. No <laughs> one's going to say shush. You know, any question, anytime you want to ask a question, if you see a bird, point it out. No matter how common that bird, all birds are fascinating. Rukia, through the course of doing this story and getting to know the birding community a little bit better, has this had any effect on on how you spend your time outside or just things you're you're focusing in on when you're out in nature? I would definitely say it has. Like um, prior to knowing much about the birding community, I was definitely one of those people who would hear the birds early in the morning and say, "Okay, <laughs> I need I'm, <laughs> I'm up to already, and I don't hear noise." <laughs> but now. I I enjoy hearing the different sounds and I'm often thinking like, hmm, which, which birds are out there or, you know, I, I pay more attention to it now. And I mean, just in general, I, I love being out in nature. Um, and yeah, I've just learned how to enjoy that more. You know, when we started this conversation, Dr. Campbell, you were saying that you feel a lot of Michigan habitats may be overlooked by birders who may be looking for the marquee species. I know it's a lot to ask a birder to give up one of their favorite locations because why not keep a good secret for yourself? But do you mind telling us about a habitat that you wish more people would check out? Well, I uh, I, I actually like to look in ditches. <laughs> what? What lives in a ditch? I need to hear this. Uh, you'd be surprised what you can find in a ditch. <laughs> Do tell. Um, you know, I oftentimes after a rain in particular, you know, you, you'll go and look in a ditch and there'll be all sorts of birds that love to, um, um, you know, fish in the water and uh, uh, hang out by water. Water is, of course, an attractant. And then, of course, you have your other habitats. Um, but I think my all-time favorite habitat, believe it or not, is my backyard because my backyard, I, I, I grow a lot of native species and uh, I, I have a pawpaw, a number of pawpaw trees. Um, and I this morning I woke up to the sound of a white-throated sparrow um, and all sorts of things come through my yard, you know, sit in my yard, eat the fruit from my trees and it's just one of my favorite places to be, and it's it's right in Ann Arbor. I mean, it's it's not in a park, but for me, it's it's just full of fascinating creatures. In my pollinator garden this year, oh, I had such glorious wasps and so forth that you know I actually just spend all day looking at these creatures and never leave my backyard, or my front yard, or my side yard. <laughs> That's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Bear. You can find more from us, episodes to stream anytime at michiganradio.org. Today's podcast was produced by April Van Buren. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Cabansag, and Mercedes Mejia. Our podcast producer is Rachel Ishikawa. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music from today's pod came from Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so much for listening. Get out there and see those birds, people. Until next time, bye-bye.
I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.